Welcome to season three of the Unapologist podcast. Season three, we made it. Season three, and tonight we have the philosopher king Aristotle spoke about Christopher Polson. <laughs> listen, listen, if I'm the philosopher king, then of course, of course, even though they may call Origen the father of theology, you came before him, bud. You are definitely patient zero of 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 deep thought season three we made it we made it through season one season one was a little rough season two was a little less rough season three we're going back to a little rough (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't have it any other way but chris it's season three season three and right from the three seasons no one wants to hear us talk no one wants to we have learned uh audience we have learned that the last two people you want to hear from are Vito and Chris. So Vito, Chris, t- talk to me. What are we doing tonight? Chris, tonight we we got ourselves an amazing guest coming to us from Edmonton who's going to speak to us about resilience in students and in the teaching profession because but my goodness, we really needed it last year and we need to set ourselves up this year for success. Incredible person, amazing speaker overall spectacular educator we got karen sabrin on the show karen welcome thank you for having me it's a pleasure i well i know i uh i watched your talk uh getka last year and uh, i immediately I, i think i actually watched it and while i was watching it looked you up on Facebook and sent you a message and was like, Hey, you gotta come on my show. I'm pretty sure like that was happening simultaneously. Awesome. Yeah, it's super good to be here. Thanks for the offer. Oh, you're quite welcome. Again, we're coming in strong because what you have to tell us tonight, I think is going to be so helpful to so many people. Especially going into a new school year. I think it's a great mindset to, to start your year off on. It is just going to get us on the right foot. And But before we get there, we love to start our show by asking guests about their story. Could you tell us the story of how you got into the field and did what you did and what drives it? Uh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, kind of growing up, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher. And that was kind of goal one from when I was like, I don't know, six or seven years old or however old I was. So I did that, went through high school, got my ed degree, and then during my practicum, my final practicum, I hated it. I just was like, I'm never going to be a teacher. This is awful. Um, Like, I got through it and, like, passed my courses and got my degree and everything was like, no, I'm not going to be a teacher. Uh, So I decided to go to to back to school and figure something else out with my life. And during that process, I ended up getting a job working with kids with um, on the autism spectrum. And in doing that, I was like in their houses, helping them like one-on-one with like their behaviors and setting up routines and this kind of like learning language. And I loved it. And it made me realize that like, I, I love the really tricky kids. Um, and I love handling and working with kids that are like, I don't know, they just need a little bit of extra. So I uh, ended up actually going and applying to, to my school board and got a job working in a special needs classroom for kids with autism sorry, on the autism spectrum. And uh, from then I got into the field of mental health and I worked at um, a specialized site for kids with mental health issues and disorders. And uh, that's kind of like where I ended up. I got my master's along the way and just, I've really felt at home in the special needs 
world and the world of like school plus is what I like to call it. It's like, I love that. I love yeah, that. it was, and it's, it's just such a great place to be into. Um, and then in the last couple of years, I finally made my way into a, a quotation, air quotations, regular classroom, um, just to see if I could like transfer my skills of supporting kids in specialized settings and then helping those same kids that we see in the regular classroom um, as they are in like an inclusive setting. And uh, that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years now. Take me back in the timeline a bit when you were working specialized with uh, young people and mental health. How about how many uh, years ago was that? Uh, that was, I started at that job in 2012 and I left in 2018. So I did six years um in like specialized mental i was actually teaching in a hospital um so kids who were hospitalized um for their mental health issues and um as they were receiving their treatment i was their teacher because they're still mandated and like they should have access to education Absolutely. just because they're in the hospital yeah. doesn't mean they shouldn't be learning so that was kind of my role to fit in and i worked with nurses and psychiatrists and doctors and all that kind of stuff and i was part of a really awesome team um and, and so 2012 2018 and this is interesting be, just because we've been looking at this time frame for so long have have you seen any emerging trends while you were there like what i know we're going to get into it in detail but was there anything that was coming up quite a bit that has you concerned or that has you noticing cool. a trend that's a toughie um i definitely think that we're dealing with like anxiety I've seen lots of kids struggling with anxiety. Um, there's a lot of external pressures um, about achievement and like getting into universities and all that kind of stuff. And it seems to be manifesting younger and younger and younger. Um, so that's something that I'm just kind of on my radar. I don't know if there's any statistics to back that up, but you know, kind of experience and gut is telling me that kids are putting a lot of pressure on themselves and maybe parents too. Um, or families, I should say, about, you know, you got you to gotta start off early, you got to be successful from, you know, a young age. And I think that, you know, considering developmentally and the way that the brain actually works, that might not always be, you know, the best place to start with kids is like pushing them to be high achievers so young. Um, but again, that's... right into that competition. Yeah, definitely. Immediately, immediately there's it's not like fun and exploration. It's competition be the best. Yeah. And I, like, I'm seeing that in my classroom. It's like, well, what's the class average? Did I do better than everybody else? Or did I at least do as good as everybody else kind of thing? And like, it doesn't matter what everyone else did. Um, have you pushed yourself? Like, is this better than last time? Have you increased your skill set? you know, a little bit since the last test or over the last unit? And if the answer is yes, then you've done your job. Um, it doesn't matter what the rest of the class got. So I, it's actually a pet peeve of my students because I don't release class averages ever and they hate that. And it's like, well, it doesn't matter. Like it's about you and your journey. It's not about what your classmates are getting. I, I think we might have just received the first big vibe of season three. I, I knew I, I saw it. Like, go off in your it doesn't head. matter what the class average is. It matters what you got. Oh my goodness. I think we just got the first big vibe of season <laughs> three. <laughs> Oh, what a good way to enter into a new school year, my friends. Let's, oh, I love it. I keep, Look at me, already <laughs> taking the train <laughs> off the tracks. And thank you for that, because we talk about an explosion of mental health issues in young people, but we don't identify what are the, some of the triggers that are going there. And so that's interesting that from your observational perspective, it's like, no, it's anxiety and pressure that are. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, uh, that's neat. 
That's uh, that's that's neat to know. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's no doubt we lived through a year where we saw some of the worst uh, things to happen in schools, especially at home. And yet, uh, most of us don't actually see the full spectrum of what really goes on. Can, can you take us through what kinds of things happen at schools? So this is like I uh, I had like the very strange assignment over like the 2020 2021 school year. Um, I was assigned an online class, uh, so I taught online for the entire year. I had uh, three groups of grade seven kids that I taught Ellie and social to. Um, for the entire year. So three different classes from December to the end of the year, I worked from home because um, in Alberta, there was this the work from home order for a good chunk of that. So um, for, for my case, it was like, I'm able to work from home, so I'm going to. So in terms of like understanding the school environment and what happened in like the brick and mortar building, I really wasn't there. So like I've got staff emails and stuff from my colleagues who are in the building. But like my experience was like, uh, staring at a, at a screen and like I said I was teaching grade seven kids who refused to turn their cameras on ever and only ever answered questions in the chat so my experience last year was so different than anything previous and it was it was crazy it took me to like uh, I think I had a big like emotional breakdown with my assistant principal in like March uh, or ish I don't know at some point I was like I just can't do it anymore this is so hard uh, and I realized that it was the it was the feedback I'm when I teach I'm very much looking at the nonverbal language of my students so I'm looking for like the shaky leg or uh, people who are touching their chest or their neck the their chest or their neck which is like a security signal um, if people are feeling uncomfortable, they protect their vulnerable parts of their body with their hand. So I'm looking for all of those kind of like little subtle clues and stuff when a kid doesn't get a piece of content or they're feeling stressed out in the environment or whatever. And I didn't have any of my normal cues. So it took me and it took me six, seven months to realize that that part was missing. And I had to really shift of like, okay, what are the signals I'm getting online for my kids when, when I can feel them being uncomfortable or unsure about the the environment or the curriculum or the content or whatever. And so that was, yeah, that was a big shift. I don't think I ever actually got there. <laughs> like I recognized the problem. I don't think there was ever an answer of like, how, how can I help kids who don't talk and I can't see their face? Like, Well, was- I think it's so interesting that you say that coming from the background that you had. Um, last year, one of the uh, one of the things that we spoke about uh, quite a bit at the start of the year was how um, unsure of ourselves as teachers we were, and not because of the the screen, but when it, with the in person because of the mask because it covered so mm-hmm. much of the face and the feedback that you get from the face as someone who doesn't have the same knowledge as you, like you're talking about like the, you know, covering the vitals. I never would have thought of that, but even on, on a, on a smaller level, it's what we were also feeling. You were just able to pick it up so much more and recognize that there's so many more things, um, nonverbal cues and signals that we need to be looking out for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it. Yeah. You know, it, it was what it was. And, uh, you know, glad I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Vito was also uh, Vito was also a fully online teacher. Yes, yeah, no, I, I volunteered for whatever reason. I thought, oh, the worst that could happen is I could learn something new, and I did. I learned I don't like online teaching. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's 
so funny. And, yeah. and, and, and for all the reasons that you've identified, uh, absolutely. It was, it was not the environment I, I ever want to be in fully again. Uh, prior to those that year, though, we you know what, and to your experience uh, in in the quote unquote regular classroom, you know what what did you see happening in schools that a lot of teachers would be invisible or unaware of that are invisible to teachers? Um, I think the biggest thing is just like really getting to know your kids, your students. Um, that's because every student presents stress and anxiety or whatever you want to call it, those negative emotions, they all present differently. Some kids might lash out and some kids might um, go totally internal and shut down. So you're looking for those changes in, in behaviors depending on the kid. So my super outgoing kids, if they were like consistently quiet, I'm like, okay, I got to like mental check. And like, obviously every, everybody has a bad day. Like nobody is going to be a hundred percent happy all the time. So, you know, you're looking for like those long-term shifts and, you know, either personality or just habits, those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, in terms of trends, like, I don't know, I don't know if there is a trend because when you're talking about mental health and you're talking about uh, individuals, everybody's different and their journey is different. So the same, um, the same experience for two different kids is going to present completely differently because they've got they're two different kids. They have two different histories. They have two different stories, um, two different brains, two different hormone levels. Like it's, uh, it, like it's, it's very much about being intuitive and just like following your gut and just like understanding that the people you're working with or the students you have, they're humans and like stuff's happening to them and you have to just kind of work with them in order to, and like, I don't know, you're kind of on a journey with them, I guess. And rather than trying to like fix the problem, you're trying to like support them through it. That was fantastic. And and what I really like about it is, you know, you use the R word, right? Like we're not robots at the, at the front of a class just delivering curriculum. The most effective educators are professionals at building relationships. Mm -hmm. um, because if you don't have that relationship, like you said, every kid has, has different way that they present their stress, their anxiety, whatever issue they may have. Um, and if you don't know them, you, you don't, you're not going to know those cues. And yeah. I think, you know, coming into September that speaks so big about how we want to start off our courses, whether it be a high school course or like a, a homeroom or, or, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's mm -hmm. such a huge, uh, a huge, that's a, it's a big vibe. It's a and big I vibe to me. And I think that's like, like all the teachers kind of love hate September because, you know, you're starting a new school year and you're meeting your new class, but it's always really, um, you kind of nerve wracking because you don't know the kids and you don't, you would like, there it's a new group. You don't know how they're going to relate to each other and relate with you. So that September is really about like figuring it out and putting some puzzle pieces together so that you can continue to work throughout the rest of the, throughout the rest of the year. So I think this like this school year is like that but like triple yeah. <laughs> or quadruple or whatever because not only are these kids um coming into the new school year they they some of them haven't been in a classroom for you know a year and a half or whatever time we've been out since march of 2020 whenever that happened um so there's like a lot of there's a big gap and there's and you might have kids that were in grade five 
um, that, you know, finished off their grade five year and they haven't been into a building until the beginning of grade seven. Like that is a shift and a half for kids to just all of a sudden be in this new type of environment. So, so given all that, so this is, this is some pretty overwhelming natures that we're going to be facing in September. Like how, how, how can we best support our students? Oh, the uh, patience with yourself, patience with them. Um, and like expect them to be bad at stuff. Like they are going to be dysregulated. They're going to have a hard time making friends. They are going to have a hard time sitting and listening. They're going to have a hard time scheduling themselves and organizing and staying on task. Like just all of those routine things that haven't been, you know, they might have not been a part of for, for so long or like online environment or in person or switching between the two if they've had to quarantine. There's just a lot of stuff that, uh, they haven't been as practiced in. So I think patience is the number one thing. And then just when you see your students uh, and you kind of like feel that energy kind of rising and you're like, oh, this, this classroom is like getting out of control or getting a little hyper or whatever, taking a minute to just like settle down and do some regulation strategies or like listen to some calm music or do a doodling activity or something to re just like chill everybody out um, so that you you can actually get to the to the curriculum and, and like the quote unquote learning stuff. Take the time to chill. Yeah. Right. Like everyone's been through it. And as adults, we know how we've dealt with it. I mean, how many times did you see on social media someone making like a joke about like, it's the first time I've wore real pants, you know? Yeah. Um and in those jokes, there's some truth. hundred percent. Um, yeah. And and those are adults who for all intents and purposes kind of have it together and are the people who are supposed to have it together. Mm -hmm. And we're dealing with whether you teach kindergarten or grade 12, you're teaching kids. Yeah. Well, and like the, the brain big, we know this, the, the core, the cortex isn't fully developed until the early twenties, sometimes late twenties in some males. So like they really, their ability to truly understand and reflect on the processes and like the things that have happened, their, their brains have physically not developed um, to the extent of an adult brain. Mm -hmm. So when we uh, hold ourselves to certain expectations, we really have to check that and be like, okay, well, what, what is the developmental stage of my student? Like, and even if they are in grade 12, their brains still aren't fully there yet. Like physically they are not there yet. So just keeping that in mind and, um, and everybody's stress response system, whether you're in person or online, everyone's been stressed out over this last year, no matter what. So everyone's stress response system and our adrenaline has been on the rise. And, and it's, we gotta, we gotta kind of almost like ride that wave and we're going to feel a crash um, because people are starting to get back into what normal kind of is now. And like, there, there's going to be some discomfort in that, um, because they're not used to feeling relaxed. So there's going to be some anxiety and behaviors coming out of the fact that we're feeling calm and we're not used to feeling calm. And that, that shift in internal state is like, is just something that people are going to feel, but they're not necessarily going to be able to reflect on and notice. So that mind body connection might not be so um, obvious to students. And as teachers, you just kind of have to like, again, be aware of it. When you feel that energy shift in your classroom, how can you re-regulate your students? So what are some strategies then we can use to bridge that gap? Um, the biggest thing. So, so if you look at 
regulation, there's a couple different ways to do it. So there's there's bottom up regulation, meaning that you control your like your senses and your body, which then regulates your your cortex, like the top part of your brain, or you can use your top part of the brain to control the bottom part of the brain, or you can relate to other people. So a bottom up strategy would be something like a massage, or like if you can't really do it in school, but like um, like squeezing your hand or like fiddling with your fingers. That's that's a regulation strategy. Having a, a textured like stress ball, um, listening to music. Those are all things that you're you're taking in your senses, but your brain had like doesn't need to make any decisions. Like you just pick up the stress ball and your hand goes. Like your your brain doesn't say squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. Like that's just that's not how it works. Um, so the bottom up strategies are things that are sensory driven. So listening to music, things that kind of are happening to you, um, or like that are placed in your environment and allow you to to regulate. And then a top down strategy is are things like meditation, mindfulness, controlled breathing, where you're saying, my brain is saying to my diaphragm, take a breath in this pattern, or you're going to count for four, and then you're going to hold your breath and then count for four, and then you're going to release. And that's a top down strategy where your cortex is making the decision about your body. And then co-regulation is when you have an, another person who is on a lower state than you, so they are not as stressed out as you, just kind of like modeling how to be calm um, how to breathe and just like there's these things called mirror neurons um, in your brain so that when you see somebody do something that same area in your brain actually lights up science is so cool yes, um, right <laughs> um, so when you are stressed out and you see somebody taking deep breaths your mirror neurons are like oh that looks like a good idea and they start and they kind of like flare up and they kind of mimic what the other person in the environment is doing Flip side, if that person is more stressed out than you, that's going to heighten you because your mirror neurons are like, oh, that person's stressed. I should be stressed because maybe there's like a bear that's going to come and attack me or something. Ah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so those are like the three kind of uh, regulation kind of umbrellas. Teachers, teachers who are listening before September 1st, get a massage. Yeah. Before <laughs> September 20th, get another massage. Uh, seriously, seriously, 100%, yeah. You know, um, and Vito and I, we've spoken quite a bit. Uh, we, we we are huge advocates for for meditation. Um, so I, I I love everything you're saying there. I think it's I think it's so important too. And I think with the kids, when uh, again, and I'm talking any grade level, when we bring those things into the classrooms and make them part of the routines, because they haven't necessarily had the same types of routines, when we bring those types of things into our routine we model ways that we can de-stress, especially um, one of the ones that I personally went through a lot this particular uh, last uh, last school year. Um, I really got the, I feel, oh, I feel good and comfortable today. Wait a minute. I shouldn't feel good and comfortable. Something's going to happen now that I'm comfortable, you know? Um, and, and I feel like that's something that's coming in. Wait a minute we had the global pandemic and I'm back in school and I feel happy that I'm back in school, but I, I should be on my guard. Yeah. And so I think these routines are so important to bring in and to model as the adults in the room, that this is something we're not just saying, this is something we're doing and we're doing it with you so that you mm -hmm. can see us. Cause then it hits that last one you were talking about too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, 
like I'm a not that I'm not a new mom. My kids are four and two, but I'm a working and like coming off of parental leaves and that kind of stuff. Like this is like last year was the first year where I worked a full year having two kids at home. So like my self care routines went out the window on top of being living through the pandemic. So I built things into my classroom because I was like, I have to stretch my body because my my body hurts. So I purposely was like, we're stretching five minutes a day, or like per class, because I need to do it. I don't even know if my students did, but it was good for me. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then it like you said, it's that modeling piece. So and there's also that little bit of vulnerability in that too. So that if your students are seeing that, like, oh, my teacher's stressed out, and she does these things to help her, um, then it's not such a bad feeling and they don't feel so responsible or negative if they're having those feelings and that they need to like control them or something but it's it's just like a human experience to feel stressed and it's a human experience to be bummed out one day um and it's just like how how you the strategies and things that you have in place to support yourself through it we've been talking about ways you can get your students into the rhythm and routine of a classroom and the patience that you're going to need as a teacher and yeah, build some of that self-care for yourself and get that massage, please. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately we, we would love to transition from being the support uh, for students to having them building their support systems around themselves. Right. We're really trying to teach them that. So how can we help them in that regard to build their re resilience, I guess is the word here. Yeah. Um, I think by building in these routines, they're going to naturally just start doing them, these things themselves. So having it in their environment and setting up the environment so that it is a safe place is really important. Cause that's, that's another thing I've been learning, especially as the mom of a two and four year old, I cannot control anything. <laughs> they, they rule the world. Five and one over here. Five oh and one. Yeah. Five and three. Like, all you can, do, all you can do is like set up the, best possible environment and hope for the best like you can't really control anything that another human person the human being does i think that you just said a massive statement there i actually think that is again i'm saying big vibe a lot but <laughs> I, I think that's huge because i think that's something that teachers need to be gentle with themselves about mm -hmm. you set up the environment and you do the absolute best you can but you cannot no human being can control and force another human being to do something. And yet in September, when we're doing rules, routines, when we're trying to put it together, we almost feel like we want it. We're, we're building a puzzle. We're not building a puzzle. We're working mm -hmm. at the puzzle factory right here. Yeah, right. Um, and, and we need to be gentle and loving with ourselves in setting up those, those, those environments so that the best stuff can happen, even though we have to accept that it won't always happen. And not even to expect it won't always happen. And then setting up that expectation for yourself, then it also relieves a bit of that stress because it's like, oh, this is the day I was counting on. This is when I this kid isn't going to listen or this kid isn't going to follow the rule. I was waiting for this to happen and here's my plan to deal with it. So when you expect things um, when you expect kids to be dysregulated because it's going to happen, then it doesn't like take you take you down a peg. It's just like, oh, I'm I'm here. I've got this. No problem. And then you had the you talked again about um, how we can build like kids and being to be their own like advocate and their own voice. Um, a big thing with kids when they like if I don't know if you've heard of aces before have you, have you guys um okay so in like the late 90s there's these two 
these two doctors, um, Feliti and Anda, I can't remember their first names, Vincent Feliti and something Anda, I can't remember, from California. And uh, throughout their processes and doing the stuff that they're doing, they come up with these 10 questions and they're called the adverse childhood experiences. Um, and it's just a set of 10 questions and they're yes or no. Um, and by tracking the number of yeses and nos kind of gives you a marker of, of what kids are going to experience in school and in life. So kids with an ACE score of, uh, of four or more have like an 85% higher chance of having behavioral concerns in the classroom or uh, learning disabilities or learning problems or learning challenges. And, um, and the relationship between these ACEs and like physical health problems in the future, like there's just there's all these studies of how these 10 childhood adverse childhood experiences will impact life later on. So when we think about these kids um, who've had ACEs, um, about one in five have had at least a score of one. Uh, no, sorry, one in five has at least three or more. And we're looking at like two thirds, maybe a little bit less than two thirds that have had at least one ACE in their life. Um, and that's, and just like the more ACEs you have, the harder of a time you're going to have just like kind of like basically existing. Um, so these, these kids that have had like maltreatment or like a history of problems in their lives, um, their, the way that their brain is organized is different. The way that they, uh, recognize challenges and threats in their environment is different. And, um, so it just changes the way that I, that we typically expect a kid to learn. So um, when we're building in things to help resiliency, what my biggest thing is like focusing on identity because these kids, their identity has been so much, um, so negative. Like people have been calling them ugly or stupid or worthless or they, and even if they haven't been told that, they, that might've been the messaging towards them. So when they come into school and we can help them develop a positive identity, um, then they're going to then be able to be like, these are the things that are important to me. Um, so then I can use these things to help me get through tough times. So whether that's exercise and sports teams or the science club or film studies or, you know, or knitting, whatever it is, by exposing kids to all these different things to help them create their individual identity, then they're able to find those strategies that will help them, uh, for like, uh, to regulate and kind of like get through tough times. So the for me, the biggest thing is there's just exposure to everything and that it's okay to like this thing, but not this and be good at that, but not this because we're all different and and finding those like golden connections between students where it's like, I can do this and I love this. That's the stuff that's really going to help kids become resilient because now they've got something to look forward to. So I love the fact that you introduced this to us and I'm sure to a lot of people listening right now. Yeah. So Aces, check it out. Please. Check it out. Okay, caveat. Very important. Caveat. Okay. Do not just like take these questions and present them to your students. Uh, <laughs> very like, this is, this is like stuff for psychologists. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you're opening up a whole can of worms of like, because like one of them is fairly like innocuous of like, are your parents, like parents are divorced. That's, that's an, that's an ace. Um, but also have you had a parent die or is one of your parents incarcerated? Um, have so you witnessed stuff that can really, really, Oh yeah. Really like super, some... super triggering. So yeah. this isn't something that you can just like ask your kids and like, here's a checklist. This is <laughs> something to it. check out, check out and be aware of, but do not bring do this not into do your it. classroom. No, no. It's something like, 
the statistics and the studies behind it is good, but, uh, and like having, if you have like a mental health therapist or something that's in your school or part of your division, they're probably aware of this. And like, mm-hmm. there are talented people who have that skill set, let them have that skill set. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's up to us just to be aware that we've got at, you know, 30 to 35% of your kids in your class are having a tough time at any given moment, or they've had a tough history. So like, for most of us, that's at least three, four kids in your class every year or every class. So you're, yeah. Wow. So let me ask this then, because the expectation put on teachers is to be everything and to monitor everything and to be on the cusp of everything psychological as well. And you just mentioned one, like, do not, like, do not, do not go there, defer to experts. Can you help us out here? When, uh, when are other times we should defer to experts and what are some of the things we should just not do? Like, just don't go down there. Oh, that. I, <laughs> so, um, as the I, scroll hits, the scroll. Right? <laughs> so, um, this is this work-life balance that uh, teachers have is messed up. The fact that we are coaches um, and counselors and and teachers um, and we run the food bank and uh, we make sure kids are uh, getting their like immunizations and like all this stuff. Like s- school has become this this community hub, which is great that I think that within that brick and mortar building, we have access to all these things, but teachers as caring and empathetic individuals, which I think most teachers are, otherwise you wouldn't be in the profession. I think like you, you gotta be right. Like, yeah, for sure. Like you have to have this like caring part of you that just wants to see other human beings succeed. So when we see kids that for whatever reason aren't succeeding or that don't have enough, our instinct is to jump in and save. But that I'm going to jump in and save and you're, you, I need to save you from that swimming pool and I need to save you from flowing off that cliff and that kid's running into a fire and this kid wants to go skateboarding without a helmet and like all of us, we're trying to solve all of these problems at once and I think that's, is so bad for work-life balance and teacher burnout and there's like this, my, my, my experience is like there's this culture of expectation of like, yeah, you will you will do all of those things. Like it, that's what makes a good teacher is that you do all those things and you don't complain and you get your marking done on time and you get your report cards done on time and you get your IPPs done and you get your uh, ELL benchmarks done. And you like, it's like paperwork after paperwork and human after human. And it's just like, I think that something needs to shift. Um, I like, I've set really, really strong boundaries for myself um, because I have to. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and like, and having my own children has really, I, it's, it's helped me because it's like my, my children are number one because they have to be. So I've set myself boundaries at work. Otherwise I wouldn't be the mom that I am to my four-year-old and to my two-year-old because I wouldn't have anything else to give. And I think there just needs to be like a cultural shift where teachers are like, I can't do all this. And then communities have to realize that we can't do all of this anymore. Um, so I don't know whether that's policy that changes first or if that's behavior that changes first, but I think something like teachers burn out too much too yep. often. We lose really good people in this profession because the expectations are so high and the job is so demanding um, and not even just like physically demanding, but like emotional labor. I think it goes back to self-care, right? Yeah. You know, 100%. if you're doing, if you're everything to everyone, the only person who's losing out is you. Yeah. 
Um, and that's, that's an important, uh, distinction. And you said like, you know, I put my kids first so that I can number one, be, be the mom that I need to be. But when, when we're juggling a thousand balls, we're not the teacher we need to be. We're not the staff member we need to be. We're yeah. not the coach we need to be. We need to, um, I've, uh, I have to trademark this, but, um, you know, I, I don't say it's about knowing what to say no to. I think it's about having a hierarchy of what to say yes to. Ooh, a hi hierarchy of yes. yes Trademark started. Chris Polson. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but, but that's what I hear in, in what you're saying. It's you need to have your hierarchy of yes. What's worth your yes? Yeah. And one of the things that needs to be on that is yourself. 100%. Um, yeah. I know we have a lot of uh, new teachers and early career teachers who listen to our show. And you have to prioritize yourself. Yeah. Um, and, and your health and your well-being, and you have to do something for fun that isn't teaching. <laughs> and as yeah. much as it, that doesn't mean you don't love teaching, but you have to have a fun thing you do that is not being a teacher. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I, I took some training a while ago and like my mentor throughout the experience, he kept saying, you're there when you're there and you're not when you're not. And it, that is something that I just always replay in my head. Um, and like the, the training I was going through was about like helping kids with like severe mental health challenges and severe trauma. So it's that emotional baggage of like, you know, this kid just attempted suicide or something like that. And it's like, how do you, how do you like not bring that home? And it's really about like, and, and like, it's hard. Like I, you almost, I, I don't, I don't know if there's an answer for that or everybody's answer is different for that, but it's just like when I'm with that student who had that really, really tough time and that had that really severe experience, I'm there when I'm with them in person. But if, as soon as I get home, I'm mom or like, I'm, you know, I'm me, I'm the yoga person. I'm the one who goes for a run. I do my puzzles, but like, I cannot keep thinking about those kids that are, that are struggling. Cause then I'm not, I'm not recuperating from the experience. And then I'm not there for them the next day. Like, it's, I, I really have to replay you're there when you're there and you're not when you're not, because that's like, it is so important when you're dealing with really, really um, struggling students. Oh, agreed. My, my dad had saying to me when I first started working um, on an assembly line, actually, he said, listen, leave work at work. Okay. No one wants to hear your whine. So don't bring it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was this thing. You, you're home, you're home, leave your work at work. And then when you go back to work, you can pick it up again. And one thing I find helpful before we were locked in at home was having a shutdown ritual at the end of the workday. So I, once I go through my ritual, workday's done. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that, that was my trigger to know that the workday was done. Uh, being at home and teaching this year. I think it gets blurry. Was, it gets blurry, right? We, yeah. We, we lost that. So um, at the end of the day, like you're mentioning so many good things, but in terms, yeah. of, supporting our, in terms of supporting our students, what, what should then we be what should teachers be unapologetic about in their practice? Oh man. I think the first thing is setting boundaries for yourself. Um, and then being clear about those boundaries with your students. Cause then that, that also allows them to set boundaries too. Like the number of kids that I have assigned, like working on schoolwork at two o'clock in the morning, I'm just like, no, that is sleep time. It's okay that the work isn't done. Finish it tomorrow. Like it'll, you have to sleep or like, by me setting boundaries and like, I don't think like my, one of my examples is like, I do not reply to student emails after 4 PM or on weekends. So they can email me all they want, but I'm not replying. Um, so they've now learned themselves that they can't email me and it's not worth their time. So hopefully they're taking that time to go on a bike ride or, 
you know, mom's making them do chores or whatever. Um, and you're again, modeling that, that boundary setting. Um, I think that's the big one. Changing your lens, I think is another really is another big one. So like, are, are your kids misbehaving or are they having a hard time with stress management? Right. So are, are they in control of the behaviors and they are purposefully misbehaving or are they so dysregulated that they don't know what they're doing or they are not in control of their actions at this moment? Cause that's two different things. Um, and me personally, I always err on the side of they are dysregulated because 99% of the time that's the case. And I truly believe that every kid um, that walks into your room is trying the best that they can to be there and to be present. Um, and, and there's lots of things that get in the way of that, but this, like, I have to believe that they're truly being their best selves in that moment. And then I can help that kid. I don't think kids are coming in to try to like stick it to me by not doing their homework or whatever. Um, that'll, that'll show her. Exactly. Right. <laughs> One last thing to mark. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think that's, that's another thing is just like shifting the lens and then always giving the kids the benefit of the doubt and and supporting them Vito, chris the sun hasn't set in quite a while my friend no it hasn't it's been out it hasn't it hasn't but it's starting to go down on us and you know what it means when I the sun's starting to set my friend when i see that sun setting i know it means that it is Pulsing, pulsing points point time. time. Oh my goodness. Our first pulsing points of season three. Everyone's least favorite part of the show. Oh my goodness. We spoke with Karen Sabrin tonight and uh, I'm just reeling. We had a masterclass um, and, and, and the pulsing points we really got from tonight are it's not about finding a job. It's about finding your home. Friends, September, get to know your kids because every kid presents things in different ways and you're never going to know that if you don't get to know them and build the relationships. Because what's September for? It's for figuring it out. Hey, we all need to take time to chill. Bring that into your classroom. And friends, we the teachers, we need to model some good calming activities we need to make them part of our routine so that we can do what's best for those kids. We need to set up the best environment and support what happens knowing that it's not what we're going to plan. It's okay to be themselves. And guess what, teachers? It's okay to be yourself too. But we can't just have pulsing points. We got those big vibes. Don't worry about the class average. Make sure your students know to worry about how they did and how they're growing not the other kids in the room. My friends, like I said, and I said it, I, I said it as part of the pulsing points and I'm saying it as a big vibe, build relationships, not just with the students though, build relationships with the people in your building. Make a make your, make your school a super positive place because we need that support as well. Uh, my friends, big vibes, big vibes. Um, focus on identity and help to build it. And of course, this September, be unapologetic about setting your boundaries and being clear about them. Be unapologetic about changing your lens and asking yourself what's really going on. And be unapologetic about giving kids the benefit of the doubt because they are there to learn and every one of them is doing the best they can. 
Karen Sabrin, thank you so much for guiding us tonight. Uh, I've learned so much. Uh, I'm already a better teacher for this school year than I was for last school year for having spoken with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. And thank you for joining us for this season of the Unapologist podcast. Join us next week as we talk to great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris signing off. Podcast.